Okay, take out your copy of God's Word, turn in your Bible, Romans chapter 15. We've been talking about how to change the world. Here's what I've learned after more than 50 years. Everybody wants to be a world changer, but most people aren't even willing to take out the trash. I mean, what am I trying to say here? We all want to make a difference, but when it comes down to it, most people aren't willing to do even the little things to make a difference. They're not willing to do what they can do right where they are. And maybe more than any message I've ever preached, that's what I'm going to point you toward today. Uh, How to make a difference in a practical way, a tangible difference before you leave this room, before you finish listening to this message. Now, I told you we've been journeying through Romans verse by verse. (laughs) It's been quite an endeavor. It's taken us months And if you've got your Bible open to Romans 15, you can see we're almost to the end. We're going to end this in the next couple of weeks. So let me just remind you where we've been. Romans is a study about our salvation, our soteriology, we call it, the study of our salvation. So early in Romans, we learned that we all need to be saved because we are all sinners. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. So when we are saved, what we're saying is we've been made just. We are justified. When we look to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, it's just as if we've never sinned, just as if we've always obeyed. And so if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, what you're saying is, I was saved. But in Romans, we also learn that we are being saved. When we're saved, we're justified. As we're being saved, we call that being sanctified. We're looking more and more like Jesus. When we're justified, we're saved from the penalty of sin. We don't have to be punished because Jesus took our punishment on the cross. When we're sanctified, we're saved from the power of sin. Because we're becoming more and more like Jesus, sin doesn't have the power over us that it once did. One day, when Jesus returns, the Bible tells us we will be saved. That's when we are glorified. We see Jesus face to face. We spend forever with Jesus in heaven. That's what the Bible means in John 3, 16, when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. That everlasting life is the salvation that comes because we've been justified, we're being sanctified, ultimately we are glorified. And On that day, we don't even have to deal with the presence of sin. I I look forward to that moment. So in Romans, the first 11 chapters dealt with when we were saved and how that took place, that justification process. It, It dealt with what we believe about our salvation, about our doctrine. Beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to to the Roman church, he then begins to talk about our sanctification, the behaviors that flow out of those beliefs that we have, are the duties we have as a Christian because of the doctrine that we say we believe. When we get to Romans 15, what we're dealing with is the practical outflow of that sanctification, what it looks like when we're conformed into the image of Christ. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When we refuse to be conformed to the image of this world and we live our lives transformed into the image of Christ, we become world changers and we make an eternal impact for the glory of God right where we are. And that's what I want for you today. I I don't want you to leave here just having been to another church service. I, I want you to leave saying, Jesus, 
I want to be more and more like you. And as a result of that transformation into your image, I want to give you glory by living my life for you right where I am. And that's the good news. You can do that. You can be a world changer. You can be a difference maker. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't even have to have graduated from Sunday school. You can make a difference by responding in obedience to what God has already told us to do. Now, today in our church is a first. It's our first Compassion Sunday. It's a day where we're partnering with an international ministry called Compassion International. They're a ministry that changes the world for children, one boy and one girl at a time. Since 1952, Compassion's been releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And today, more than 2 million children are sponsored in 29 countries around the world through Compassion. At the end of our service, I'm going to challenge you to join me and my family in sponsoring a child. That's going to be the practical outflow. I'm going to ask every one of you to do this. And when you sponsor a child, you'll become a world changer, not only for that child, but for that entire circle of influence, that entire family that surrounds that child. Here's the problem. I've been around us all my life. I've discovered most of us are educated beyond our obedience. We said yes to Jesus. We walked down an aisle, we raised our hand, we prayed a prayer, we've been dipped or dunked in a tub of water. We've said yes to following Jesus. But in a practical sense, we've not said yes to his mission. We're not doing the things he told us to do. And where I grew up, when I was not doing what I was supposed to do, my dad would call that monkey business. Now this week I spent several days in the Amazon right around Colombia, Brazil, and Peru. And we were training pastors on your behalf. We call it the Barnabas effect. We were encouraging them and equipping them, hoping to multiply our influence and our impact by spending time with these leaders. It was tiring. I think I spoke six times. Pastor Nick spoke a couple of times. Pastor Eliel was organizing, and he spoke every time we spoke because he was the translator. By the last day, we were kind of tired, so we needed a break. We took a little boat ride down the Amazon. And they told me we were going to this place called Monkey Island. Now, I was excited. And when we got off the boat, it was kind of cool because you could look in the trees. And if you looked hard, you could see these little tiny squirrel monkeys in the trees. But then out of nowhere, I looked to my left, and Pastor Eliel was covered in monkeys. There were monkeys everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. It was monkey business. And I'm just telling you. Some of you are up to monkey business. You're saying you're following Christ. But I'm just telling you, other than that profession of your lips, your life is not evidence that it's really making a difference. I don't want to spend my life like that. I'll just be honest with you. If everything we read is true, if, if what we profess to believe about Jesus is true, why would we waste our lives when we can make a difference for the glory of God? I want to pray, but I want to pray that we would take this seriously. 
I want to pray that God would use this moment to start a movement here in our church that really changes us. And as a, as a result, it changes the world. So I'm going to ask you is just to, to ask God to help you listen. So would you do me a favor? Sometimes this helps us just hold out your hands, kind of open palms before the Lord. And what we're praying is, God, fill, fill these empty hands with whatever you desire us to have. So, so speak to us and, and give us those things that we need and, and teach us what we've not learned and, and make us different and do all of that for your glory. And, and so today, as I pray, we're going to do something I learned is okay. So you may not have known this. You don't always have to close your eyes. So I, I want you just to keep your eyes open. And I, I'm kind of making eye contact with you. And maybe you'll look around and make eye contact with others as I pray. And Father, that is our prayer in the name of Jesus, that you would work in a mighty way. And God, just as I was moved by the worship led by these children and, and by these baptisms, I'm, I'm moved as I look out at your flock because I know some of what they're walking through. I know they're battling illnesses. And I know that they have challenges even in family life. And, and I know that some are struggling for provision. And, and Lord, I know that others are, are, are wanting to be married and they're not married. And I, I know, Lord, that others need a new job. And God, I know there's so many things that come on our shoulders when we gather in a place like this. And yet we gather to worship you. And you are big enough and capable enough to meet our every need according to your riches and glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would even begin to do that right now. Lord, those things I've mentioned and more, that you would meet needs today. But, Lord, I specifically pray that you would meet the needs of children around the world who right now are hopeless, who are in need of your care. And, Lord, you've given us the ability to help meet those needs. So help us to respond in obedience. And so, Lord, please protect my words and thoughts in these next few minutes. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 15. Here's what we're going to learn. A life committed to following Christ will always be marked by an attitude of generosity. For good or bad. And sometimes I'm frustrated about this. I don't have a really compelling story of all the things God jerked me out of to save me. I was raised in a pastor's home, and God spared me from a lot. So for good or bad, I've been around church people, Christ followers all my life. And here's what I've learned. A true Christ follower is always identified by the mark of generosity in how they look at others in this world. The context from Romans 15 is really a continuation of what we talked about last week in Romans 14. Paul was reminding the Roman church that one reason they were not being taken seriously in the world is because they couldn't even get along with themselves. <laughs> our church, not just our church, the church, needs that reminder today. I think the world would take us a little more serious if it looked like we were together on even just the main things, the big things in life. He's talked about that in Romans 14, but these chapter divisions and these verses, they weren't there in his original letter. Those were added later, so this is really a continuation. So in verse 1, when he begins, he is continuing that thought. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not 
to please ourselves. And man, if I think of a verse that is just, man, so timely for our society, it's that verse, we who are strong, we ought to bear with, we ought to help those who are weak, not just live to please ourselves. And yet in this society, in our culture, everything screams at us, meet your needs, please yourself, don't worry, be happy. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. Why? For even Christ did not please himself. But as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now just think about that. Paul, a Jewish scholar, he he knew the Scriptures, and yet now he's saying to his new friends, These Christ followers, everything we've learned, everything in the Scriptures, it's there to encourage us and to help us endure and to help us provide hope for those who are hopeless. And then he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, say one voice, With one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just three principles I want you to understand. God's plan has has always been that his people live an others-focused life. It's interesting to me that apart from the Bible, the the best-selling nonfiction book to this day was written by a Baptist pastor And you know the first line of that book? The first line of the book says, it's not about you. And and it may be hard to hear and hard to accept, but the reality is, it's not about you. We're told to make it about us. We're told to please ourselves. But if we live our lives the way God's Word teaches us to live our lives, the purpose in our life is not self-gratification. The purpose in our life is to see those around us and to make a difference for his glory in their daily existence. And that's always been the case. If you look in the Old Testament, it's in Leviticus 19 that we find that verse that Jesus ends up quoting when he talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He then says, love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in, in the book of Leviticus, we're taught that we should be not just thinking about ourselves, we should be thinking about our neighbors, those who are near us, And then a couple of chapters later, we have this amazing verse that's actually become a key verse for Compassion International. It says in Leviticus 23 and verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. God's word has been consistent throughout saying that if you reflect him, if you are in his image, you're caring about others, say others. I read just this morning in my Bible reading in Psalm 41.1, it said, blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. You you can't read the scriptures and, and not recognize that we're supposed to be caring for those who can't always care for themselves. Jesus would call these the least of these. You're familiar with the story, probably. Jesus is talking about what we believe is at the end times. 
When he says in the end times, the, the judge will separate everyone into two groups. He calls them sheeps and goats in this passage. One on the left and, and one on the right. And let's pick up with what it says in verse 34 of Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And I just think about that. We could just stop right there and, and, and say, God, from the beginning of time, has prepared an inheritance for you. I want some of that. How do I get in on that? Well, listen to what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, those who followed him, those who got it right, they're kind of clueless. They're confused. They say, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So all throughout the Old Testament and then summarized by Jesus, we're taught that if you want to do things God's ways, you're caring for those who can't care for themselves. You're caring for the least of these. You're living with open hands, generous understanding that every good thing you have came from God. So why not just let it flow through you to others? The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in Romans 15, he knows he's going to die. If you get to the end of Romans 15, and we're going to focus on this next week, he, he even says that, hey, we're collecting an offering for the needy, for those who can't pay the bills themselves. But in Acts chapter 20, he's actually giving his farewell address to the Ephesian church leaders. He knows he'll never see them again. And it's become one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And I, I want to live by that proclamation in Acts 20, 24. I don't count my life as of any value nor as precious of myself. If only I might finish the course. And, and my calling that God's given to me and testify to the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love that verse. But Paul, in this long address to these Ephesian elders, gets to verse 35 and he says, In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You, you can't look at the Scriptures And fail to see that the mark of the Christian faith is open-handed generosity. Giving freely to those who can't always help themselves and meet their needs. So who are our neighbors? Who are the weak around us? Who are the people that we can make a difference in their lives? Well, today, some of them are on these blue towers all around this room. They're children scattered around the world in need of compassion. And we have the ability to help. Did you know that in our world, one billion people live on less than one dollar a day? Let that sink in. I'm not good at math, but I can do that. 
A billion people in our world live on less than $365 a year. Two billion people in our world live on less than $2 a day. As a result of this, 30,000 children will die today from starvation or preventable diseases. And we can do something. You know, you could go pay a lot of money to listen to an inspirational speaker and be motivated and encouraged to, to make a difference. But I'm telling you, you have an opportunity to make a difference in the life of a child today. Say this. Say, we can do something. We can do something. Yes, you can. The reality is if you have a combined household income of $32,000 or more, now just think about what I said. If you have a combined household income, if there's two of you, that means everything together, $32,000 or more, you're in the richest 1% of people in all of the world. We can do something. We not only have the knowledge, we have the ability. So let's do something. As I traveled around the world, you know what I've noticed? Extreme poverty looks the same regardless of geography. I don't think I understood this, and it may have been my friend Kevin who's here with us today that I first heard say that, and then it's like a light bulb came on because I can remember a few years ago my daddy taking me to where he grew up along the Black Creek in Darlington, South Carolina, and we walked back through the woods to a little shack that was still there, a shack where you could see through the floor and see the creek moving below it when the water got high. And I began to think of some of the places I visited even in Tampa, not far from our church, where people are living in extreme poverty. I began to think about what takes place every Friday night when teams, people like you from our church, go out and give usually 150 to 200 meals to people who are on the street in Tampa in the name of Christ. And then this week, when we were in Colombia and, and a little bit of time in Peru, I, I, I visited a, a village and this is in 2023 in, in Peru, not far from a city that I got to in an airplane. And I saw these shacks that looked similar to what I remember seeing my dad grow up on the Black Creek. And I remember seeing these kids just running around outside and chickens. It's like everybody had chickens. <laughs> and the clothes just hanging everywhere. But where I was really impacted was back in January when I visited Tanzania. And I was on a trip with Compassion International, and I have to be honest, I'm a skeptic. There's a lot of organizations that I think take advantage of people and their generosity. So I was interested to see what Compassion would do. First thing we did is we met at a church, a church that was the center in that community for Compassion's ministry, because that's what they do. They don't have a big organization and a big corporate office. They, they work through the local church. But we left that local church and we went on a walk. It wasn't an easy walk because it was hot in East Africa. The road was not good. It wasn't much of a road at all. But that's not what made it difficult. It's what I was walking through. The slums of that major city in Tanzania. We walked and walked and walked and crossed a little creek until finally we got to a place where I, 
I saw an outhouse, which was the plumbing for this family. I saw, similar to what I'd seen in Peru, some clothes hanging on the line and some little shacks, not unlike what I'd seen along Black Creek in Darlington. I looked inside and saw one room where this family of six was living, one room where they had one bed where all their worldly possessions were there. And then that mama gathered with her children outside the front door and had this big old smile on her face. And I heard her talk about the difference that had been experienced in her family because one of her child had been sponsored by Compassion And everything changed. They now had food. They now had hope. They had an ability to keep going. I saw firsthand what it means when compassion says they're releasing children from poverty in the name of Jesus. Because this lady talked about how her Muslim husband was now asking questions. And by the way, she would be one of the few that had a husband. Her Muslim husband was asking questions because he had seen the tangible demonstration of love of Jesus. I saw firsthand the difference that was made because one family, maybe one person like some of you, chose to sponsor that one little child in that family of six. What I'm telling you today is there's a lot of ways you can focus on others. You can do that on a daily basis at our church. You can show up tomorrow morning and you can help encourage those from all around the world who are learning English on our campus. On Friday nights, you can go and help us feed those who show up just because they want a hot meal. On Saturday nights, you can go to the prison just like Matthew Crawford and his team did last night. You can go to the prison where two people professed Christ just last night, the jail, the county jail, and you can show the love of Jesus to the least of these. But you can also do that through sponsoring a compassion child. You can have an others-focused life. But there's a second thing I see in this passage, and that is that our pattern for focusing on others is modeled by the life of Jesus. We don't have to think this up. Jesus has shown us what it means to live focused on others. It says in verse 3, Even Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He's talking about the gospel. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus descended the stairway from heaven. He became one of us without sin so that he might die on the cross, the punishment for our sin, so that we might look to him and experience forgiveness and grace, so that we might trust in him and follow after him. That's the hope of the gospel. This this passage is saying that when we live an others-focused life, we're living out the gospel. Maybe our neighbors, maybe our family, maybe our coworkers and our classmates, maybe they don't take us seriously because they don't think we're living out what we say we believe. He said, we're to have the attitude that Christ had. What was that attitude? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us outright in verse 5, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The attitude of Jesus was to show his obedience by giving his all. If that's our pattern, we need to do better because we're not giving our all. When we respond to the needs of others, it's a gospel issue. So God's plan for us is others. Say others. God's pattern for us is Jesus. Say Jesus. So what's God's purpose for us? We'll dive into this even more next week, but we get a glimpse into that purpose in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to bring God glory. Everything in our life should bring Him glory. That's what the Bible says, guys. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, memorize this verse. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. If if I'm a Christ follower, and most of us here, we profess that. If I'm a Christ follower, I should regularly examine everything I'm doing and say, am I doing this for the glory of God? When I work, is, is my work done for God's glory? When I study my educational pursuits, is that for God's glory? When I worship, do I really worship for God's glory or am I going through motions? When I pray, am I praying for God's glory? When I get into God's word, am I doing that in a way that brings glory to his name? When I give, when I'm a steward of every stinking thing he's given to me, am I doing that for God's glory? Or am I living to please myself? I can't do both. Scripture says that. You can't do both. You'll either live for the glory of God or you'll live for the glory of self. And I don't know about you, but I know me. I'm not worth the glory. I'm not worth the praise. I don't want to live to make my name bigger. I want to live to make his name bigger. When you follow God's plan caring for others and and you follow the pattern of Jesus, you begin to fulfill God's purpose and you live for his glory. So hear what I said. A moment ago I said when you respond to the needs of others, it's a gospel issue. You're living out the gospel. Now I'm telling you when you respond to the needs of others, it's a worship issue. And the light bulb should begin to come on for you. Worship is not what you do for an hour and a half on a weekend. Worship is how you live. It's living your life to say, Jesus, you are worth my all. We don't pass an offering plate anymore, but if we really took it seriously, if we passed the offering plate, we wouldn't just put something in the plate. We would get in the plate. We would say, Jesus, I, I give you all of me. That's worship. I can't think of a better way to worship God and bring Him glory than to help provide for one of His children, one of the least of these. And after more than 50 years, I've not found a better way to do that than through the organization called Compassion International. You can make a difference. You can change a life like the lives of the children that gathered around me in that visit in Tanzania. 
are like the children I saw sitting on the pew across from me who were there in a church because somewhere in another part of the world someone had picked up a packet with their name on it and began to meet their needs for the glory of God. I'm just trying to tell you that a life committed to following Christ will always be marked by generosity. It'll be more than that. You're going to show up to church. You're going to tell your neighbors about Jesus. You're going to study the scriptures. You're going to pray. You're going to grow. You'll look more like Jesus. It'll be more than that, but it'll never be less. Don't say you're following Jesus, but living a stingy life. I'm passionate about this. And so I just want to ask you a question. Has your life been marked? Because when your life is marked by generosity, you change the lives of others, and their lives are marked. Lives like my friend Stanley. Stanley grew up in Haiti. He's now a deacon in our church. He's a businessman in Tampa. He loves Jesus. But he was a compassion child. And he came up after the last service and said, Pastor, I can't explain the difference it makes. But it also impacts other people. People like Nora. Watch her story. I would like to say thank you, thank you so much to my sponsor, Jeff and Bonnie Mori. I hope I see you one day. I love you so much, wherever you are. How about today? My name is Nora Birongi. I'm currently a substitute teacher and currently I work in one of the schools in my community. We are Jeff and Bonnie Mori, and we had the opportunity to sponsor Nora over 20 some years ago. When we were told we had the chance to meet Nora, I, I was almost speechless because we had no idea. We had no idea how much she had grown. We had no idea of the young woman that she became. We saw that she was this advocate for children and for compassion and then it just felt very humbling we did something so little we felt like it was just so little and then jeff and i started realizing as we're looking at the small portion that we did and not looking at the the magnification that god did and that is through all of the compassion team my time in compassion there is this particular teacher I remember, she's called Ruth, that impacted so much on me. Actually, even the desire for me to become a teacher came from her. My desire for math and English came from her. She could sit down giving her whole time just for me to understand. So for me as a child, I admired her so much. The other person would be our youth pastor. 
to me he was like a father figure very passionate about god but also showed us a very good example he taught us how to pray he always made sure that we are fine but also always encouraging us and reminding us of what the bible tells us about our lives it's not just us it's a whole team it's a whole army of people that god mobilizes in order to affect change in the life of a child this picture of what we're doing is is very little but there's so much going on in the background and as that happens it grew her and it made her who she is today which who would have ever thought that she would then get to go to university, get her bachelor's degree in social services, and she's able to move her, her entire family here to the United States in which she still wants to give back to Compassion, but she comes here and still continues on as a Compassion Advocate. And little by little, God opens the door for someone to reach us to say, she's looking for you. I hope I see you one day. I love you so much, wherever you are. How about today? No. <laughs> yes. this is possible and it's just like that goes all the way back to a compassion team giving her hope if those tough were not that compassion I don't think my life would be the way it is today I don't think so no I wouldn't I would love to tell this the staff workers at the compassion project there in Uganda Thank you, because you reached in, and not only were Jesus' hands, but were my hands. You were not only my voice, but you were Jesus' voice. And together, what they did was so much more than what I could do in just a single letter. But yet, it was because of their involvement, even far more than my letters that changed Nora's life, that brought us to the point where we were able to meet. To realize that you have even your small role to play because that small role doesn't stop with you. It continues on and it, it lights a candle that lights another candle that lights another candle and it becomes exponential and that's in the hands of our God. I've seen that video many times and I think I cried every time. It's a moving, a moving reminder of the difference that you can make. But I want to show you a little more. Mission Hill, would you do me a favor? Would you welcome Nora? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Good morning, church. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here. Where, where do you live right now? What, what, you live in the U.S.? Yes, I live in the U.S. with my family. I have three children. I live in Maryland, Germantown. All right. Well, yes. we're glad that you're in Tampa, the sunshine state, on this rainy weekend. 
And uh, we're glad that you're here today. I want to ask you just a few questions to kind of tie up what we've been discussing. Yes. What was it like growing up in Uganda? Growing up in Uganda was so hard. I grew up in one of the biggest slums in Kampala called Naguru. I grew up in a family of six children, and I'm the youngest. My mother is from Uganda, and my father was from Rwanda. I was born at a time when the country was at the height of civil conflict, where so many families suffered the socioeconomic consequences. To the urban poor living in the city, like my family, the consequences were dire. I remember uh, my mother was a hairdresser at one of her friend's salons, and her job highly depended on how safe the city was, and the income from her job was really very little and often not enough. On the other hand, my father was a soldier, and he served in the Rwandan army, and I remember as a child, because of the nature of his job, he only made occasional trips, and every trip he made was made memorable. My father was a very, very good father. As time went by, it was around 1994, I was turning 10 years old. We got the saddest news that my father and his entire family had been killed in the genocide. Even if life was so hard because we were struggling so much to take care of us, it took a terrible turn after he died because he tried his best as a father. So for us not to have him struggling to make our lives better even made it worse. I remember we all dropped out of school because my mother could not afford taking all the six of us to school. And I remained home as other kids went to school, which deprived me of my self-esteem and self-worth. And you know, growing up in a slum, there's so many things that can lead you a 10-year-old into a path that no one wants to go to. And I remember my brother started serving at building sites at a very, very young age. I lost all my hope, I became so hopeless. I thought I'd never go back to school. We were always kicked out of the house because my mother could not afford our house rent. So if the fear of growing up illiterate and homeless were the most terrifying things a child can go through. Pastor, I want to tell you that for us to have a meal at home was a miracle. Mm. There are so many nights and days that passed and we had nothing to eat. So life was really so hard. Wow. But thankfully, life didn't stay that way. No. How did things change when you found out you were sponsored as a child from Compassion? Life changed. That's why you even see a big smile on my face because I started my story with sadness. But when I got to what life became after I got sponsored, I get a big smile. And first, allow me to say this. I remember we had not had a meal the previous night, and I always want to encourage someone out there that sometimes you might be going through a desert and you feel you're not getting out of it, but at the time when you're in the desert, at the time when you're so hopeless, is when God brings somebody to lead you to your miracle. And at Amen. that point when you're in the desert is when God wants to pull out his hand and show you his might and power. Amen. Amen? <laughs> Thank you. So... I remember we had not had a meal the previous night and I woke up so hungry, I was crying. So I went to my mother's workplace crying and I told her, mom, I'm hungry. She was working on one of her customers and my mom didn't say anything. She just looked at me and continued with whatever she was doing. And the lady asked her, you mean you didn't hear her say she's hungry? 
That's when my mother dropped everything she was doing and started to cry. I saw pain in my mother's eyes. As a mother, when your child asks you for something to eat, you give it to them. My mother had nothing, and that broke my heart. But this woman said, I know where the solution is. There's a church in your community and Com Compassion International is registering children. My mother didn't know about Compassion. We didn't know about it. The first thing I asked her, do you think they'll take me back to school? She said, mm, of course they're going to take you back to school. So we went to the church. And the moment we reached at that church, I feel like God was going right beside that. When we reached there, the first thing I felt was compassion and love itself. The lady came running to me. I was so dirty. I was looking so bad. She hugged me and asked me, would you please like to have a cup of porridge? I looked at my mother and asked her, how did they know I was even hungry? I said, of course I'd like to have a cup of porridge. <laughs> so I went and had a cup of porridge, but this porridge was so precious and special to me. The porridge was made out of cornmeal, but it had milk. I grew up thinking that only children from rich families took milk. So for me to have it in porridge made it so precious. And I won't lie to you, I had two cups of porridge. <laughs> oh, yes. And after having my two cups of porridge, I went into a line that changed my life. There were so many coming there to be registered. And my name got on the golden list of the Compassion Assisted Children. My life never remained the same again. I got enrolled back into school with all my scholastic material paid 100%. I never, ever got out of school ever again until I graduated with a bachelor's degree in social work and social administration fully paid by Compassion International. Amen. Amen. Yes. Because of the love of a sponsor that I was introduced to, I got the most loving sponsors, Jeff and Bonnie Mori. They loved me so much. They always wrote to me letters that really meant everything to me. And they told me, Nora, we love you, you're special, and you make it. When you're a child who is hopeless, a child who has grown up in poverty, to have somebody out there who believes in you, who knows that you have a life, you have a future, and can tell you, I love you, you're special, and you'll make it. Those words never left my life again. Every time I looked forward to reading their letters, because they even highlighted those words, meaning that they were prophesying over my life, that I was going to make it, I'm special, and I'll make it. Amen. 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 Nora, those are great changes, but that's not the biggest change that took place. No, no, no. In the Compassion Project, I got to know Jesus Christ. Amen. For me, that was the biggest. I remember one time the pastor was preaching about, he was preaching and told us to memorize a scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. The scripture I love so much that I even told it to my children that he alone knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you hope and a future. I remember that time I went back home. My mom was so desperate, thinking of where everything was going to come from to support my other siblings. And I told her of that scripture. I gave her my, my Bible because Compassion gave me my first Bible in my local language. So my mom started reading the Bible and she started loving the scripture. But also she went further to even see more scriptures and learning more about Jesus. One time she told me I want to come to church. 
My mother didn't know about Jesus Christ. I didn't know about Jesus Christ until I got into compassion. So my mom started coming to church. My brothers, my sisters coming to, coming to church. They all gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. And today, I have a sister who has a church and she's a pastor because of the great gospel we got at the Compassion Project. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 You know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of ways you can impact poverty. There really are. And some good organizations. But what distinguishes compassion is in that simple phrase, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. So, again, you don't go to these communities like the one that Nora grew up in and see an office for compassion. You see a local church. I have to tell you, Nora, when I saw just the way that the, the church there in, in Tanzania was impacting that area, I thought that needs to be a model for us at Mission Hill. I, that's the impact I want to have on our community. Um, but we can talk about that later. Let me ask you this question. These folks that are staring at us, I'm about to challenge them to take a big step. So they know it, because I've been telling them that for an hour. Um, what would you say to those that are just praying about, man, should I take this step? Should I spend $38 a month and sponsor a child through compassion? What would you say to them? I would say this to you. You see this packet? This is a child, and this is life. I was once on this packet, and somebody chose my packet. She didn't throw it away. She filled it. She told me she put it on her fridge and she always prayed for me. There is a child out there who is just waiting and desperate to hear somebody tell them, we love you, you're special and you'll make it. For me, those words meant everything to me and that's why I got where I am today. I want to encourage you, if you want to sponsor a child, you are not just impacting that Nora, no. You're impacting the family and the whole community. My mother, my siblings came to know Jesus Christ Amen. because of that great sacrifice that Jeff and Bonnie made for me to be able to go to my local church, Nakawa Baptist Church, where I got to know about Jesus Christ. My mom is so proud of me today because Jeff and Bonnie Mori made it possible for me to be who I am today and what I am today. You can be that person who can change a life's child and you have the opportunity today. Yes, God bless you. Wow, we're proud of you too, Nora. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Wow. I need to just spend a pastoral moment with you for a second. We are not a wealthy church made up of wealthy people. Now, compared to what we've said in the world, all of us are rich. But the reality is I, I understand who we are. I also understand that because of that, and we've got, we've got budget challenges in our church. Some pastors would say, I could never do something like this, Kevin, because that's going to take away from giving to our church. Let me tell you what I believe as your pastor. I believe generosity breeds generosity and that you can never outgive God. So if you get in the habit of being generous, God's going to just cause you to be more generous in more ways. So let me tell you what our family does, because I, I need you to know kind of how we lead out. 
I, I was raised, my mom's in the room, and I was raised as a child. You, you start with the tithe, and the biblical tithe is 10% of what comes in to your life. So for us, that's our, our gross income, and, and, and so we take our gross income, and, and we actually give above 10% just to the ministries of this church, just through our general budget. But then we're also doing things like this big renovation, so we give to our renovation program called the Four Campaign. But then God's given me a heart for pastors around the world, so I, I give to this ministry we've started called the Barnabas Effect. I give to our missions ministry called our Unified uh, Missions Fund. And, th and then we give as we have opportunity to other people. But when I saw firsthand what Compassion International does around the world, I knew that this was something our family was going to add to our giving. So for us, it's probably going to be some changes that we're going to make in order to do this. But when I walked by and I, I saw little Alfredo in Ecuador, and I thought, I think I'm going to go visit Alfredo one day. I may even take him some fettuccine to go with his last name, Alfredo. See, that's the neat thing about Compassion. You can go visit these children. Compassion will help make that happen. And we already partner in Ecuador. <laughs> But I knew, I knew back in January that uh, Tanzania had impacted my life. So when I saw this precious little girl and then saw her name was Happiness, I thought that she needs to have a person by her name. A person with the last name Purvis. You know, I don't know what all this means. A pastor friend of mine sponsors a lot of kids and a couple of his little girls don't have fathers and so Nora they're in Uganda and he says when they get married I'm going to be on the plane to Uganda because I'm the only daddy they got I'm going to be standing by we're not asking you to do that today we're asking you to say God would you have me commit about $38 a month through Compassion International to help change the world and make a difference in the life of one child and then their entire family we talked about how to do this as a staff and man we're such a diverse church so what you've got on all of these blue towers is a diverse sampling of of these children from around the world we didn't just pick one one country because we thought maybe some of you might would, would say hey if, if there are folks from the country I'm from I, I would like to sponsor someone there so what I'm going to give you opportunity to do in just a moment is to go to these blue towers and you can even walk around to different towers but I'm going to ask you to respond in obedience and generosity and become a world changer become a difference maker I don't know exactly what God's calling you to do, but I know this. As a follower of Christ, there's no more miserable place to be than in disobedience. So all I'm asking you to do is, is to pray with me in just this next moment and say, God, is this something you want me to do right now? And then that's our response today. And what's crazy about this been a pastor for about 30 years. I don't think I've ever made it this simple. Your response to this message is to go to one of these towers and change the lives of one of these children. A child like Alfredo. A child like Happiness. A child like Nora. 
childlike steadily. So would you stand together with me? We're going to worship. As we worship, you're going to go to these, these blue towers. You're going to take out one of these packets. The packet has a part that's perforated. You tear that perforated part, fill it out. You can even give it to one of the volunteers who's standing at the tower or put it in our giving box. Either way, you choose to do that. You keep the rest of the packet. Don't keep the packet if you're not going to fill this out because that will cause the child to kind of get placed in, in limbo for probably several months. They have an app with Compassion where you're able to literally communicate with these children. And within a week or so, week or two, I think you're able to get your communication to them and then hear back from them. It's amazing the way God works. You can make a difference. So Father, we've prayed with open hands that you would use us. Now, Lord, <laughs> it's with our feet and our hands and our wallets that we take you seriously. So Lord, we know everyone needs compassion. Help us to be compassionate, even from where we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.